Okay, we're going to uh, look at a topic today, and our topic which we're going to talk about uh, always comes from the scriptures, and we're going to talk about a ministry which is identified by signs following. That, that's our ministry that we have as Christians. We actually have a signs following ministry, not a debated scription, uh, scriptural uh, reference, nor do we have debated uh, Christian dogma or philosophy. We actually, the whole core of our church is built on signs, miracles and wonders. Now look, without sort of moving outside the arena, we know from time to time, not every prayer we put to the Lord appears to be answered on the day. We have healing needs we regularly pray for. We have many healings, but sometimes we don't. That's okay, it doesn't alter it. We are still based on the fact that our church is built on God's signs and miracles and wonders. And as we go through these things, uh, even today, as we look around the world, everywhere we start a work, whether it's in South America, North America, whether it's at the cultures or Western cultures or uh, Aboriginal cultures or native cultures or alternate cultures, Asian cultures, the Holy Spirit comes into these people exactly the same way as it did in the Bible on the day of Pentecost when the covenant first began. And that is what we build our church on and we stick to it. And one of the things that people don't quite grasp is that when you're talking about the plan of God, from Adam to now, 6,000 years approximately, God has always had a signs-following covenant with people. He never asked anyone to do anything without miracles being part of the deal. And this concept of you need just to have faith, and if you want more than faith, that somehow you're uh, unscriptural or whatever, is, is really not a valid argument. God was the one who said he would put the signs. It wasn't a request from people. No one said to Jesus Christ, hey, we want to see signs for the new covenant to be identified. He told them they were going to get signs regardless of what they wanted. So we have this reverse argument that we tell people the signs not because they want them. It's just because God said that's the way it's going to be. So we actually have a reversal of the faith issue where real faith is exposed. You can't fool God can't feel God. So if a church is built outside of a signs-following ministry, then no one knows whether it's of God or not, and it's not provable. And the last thing you want to do is wait till you die or the Lord returns to find out what position you're literally in. That's not good, because if you're wrong, you've got no time left. And uh, that, that's a sad thing. Now, most miracles that God performs are not the type of miracles that people want to see. You know, they, they said to Jesus, you come down off the cross. If you be Christ, you, and he, he's not coming down off the cross. That's what they wanted. What had he done before then? Three and a half years, he turned small amounts of food, enough to feed thousands. He walked on water, he'd stilled the storms, he had uh, healed people who were sick, even the ones who came to rest him. The guy whose ear was chopped off by Peter, a little zealous slash of the blade. And uh, next thing you know, his ears glued back on. And I'm just thinking, how do you handle that when you, you've got all the blood that had spurted out, all the blood wound down your garment, and maybe the blood dripping off uh, uh, Peter's sword, and yet your ears intact perfectly, like nothing had happened? How do you come to terms with that in your mind? Signs following ministry. But it didn't stop them bumping him off. But the signs that God said would follow, guess what? They're there for those who have faith, not for the unbeliever. And this concept of going out and witnessing the people, signs following, the signs following is not just our 
uh, blessing and our evidence, it's actually uh, a, a, a test, if you like, in one concept of people's willingness to be faithful to the written word, which then sets them up for whether they can then live the Christian life, because if they can't do that part, they've certainly got no hope of being obedient to the rest of it. And that's another part of this wonderful plan that we've got. Now, not only did God, uh, when the Holy Spirit came into the temple, you know, the fire came and all, all those things, they had many uh, outward signs which were clearly obvious. But then God went back to natural signs because you've got to remember, one of the great difficulties people have when they look at a fellowship like ours is, all right, I am not good enough to be a Christian. I don't think I would fit in where you guys do this and do that. So we have this problem where people think that they could never measure up to the quality or the miraculous level that God works at. And God has countered that. The same as in the old covenant. You know, who could equal Moses? Who could equal some of these other men and women who have gone before them, Abraham and Sarah? Who could equal them with what they've done? And God just said, look, we've got other ways of identifying ourselves. So with the Israelites, he gave them symbols, he gave them banners, he gave them colours, he gave them insignias, and they were identified at two levels, both their natural life and their spiritual life. And as we move through to this covenant age now, because we have a different covenant and because our physical body has now become the temple of the Holy Spirit as opposed to a building or a tent as it was originally back in the tabernacle at first instance, God has continued on with signs. But there are signs which are not the miracles which equally identify spirit-filled people scripturally as well as the miracles. But today we don't walk around with a, a, a banner or a flag, nor do we have some of the other symbolism that God had, but we still have signs following that aren't miraculous. And the signs following that aren't miraculous are our testimony, our lifestyle. We are a living sign, a living testimony that we can have the Spirit of God in us, <coughs> we can have miraculous evidence of the Holy Spirit, but at the same time we can live a natural life with the problems of natural life, where death and birth and accident and sickness and conflict and uh, marriage pressure and all those things can all be part of our life as well. But we have a management strategy which sets us apart. And that is also a sign of who we are, equally as much as the other evidence. So, as I said earlier, we are a signs-following church. There are natural evidences and there are spiritual evidences, but all are God-given and God-inspired. And I think it's important to grasp these things because I think sometimes, as a group of people, we only think of the miracles. And sometimes we overlook that the great part of the uh, blessing which encourages a new person to a meeting, it's not the miracles they see because they don't see them, so they come to a meeting. What it gets them here is the type of person you are. Isn't that amazing? So that your sign that you take with you is you. How you live your life, how you speak, how you uh, attract other people, your attitude and so on, all that is a testimony that gets people into a meeting because as I said earlier, most people haven't read the scriptures in the sense where they know that the miracle is going to be part of their life, nor have they seen you perform a miracle. Why do they come? They come because there's something about you that's attractive to them, which is one of the signs that the Lord said he would work with. Let's have a look in Acts 2, verse 2. We'll just quickly go through a series of scriptures. And in one sense, miracles, they appeal to all intellects all around the world. 
Miracles work. Doesn't matter what nation you're in, doesn't matter what language you speak, they're uh, appealing and evidential. They're there for the blessing of people. And God's evidence, God's uh, gospel works uh, in every race, every creed, every nation. And we've already proven that simply by the way we've evangelised in so many places around the world. So this is very wonderful and powerful. And again, the bulk of the people who have come to all our fellowships all around the world have come without ever having seen a miracle but only having heard or seen the lifestyle of the individual who invited them along. And sometimes it was only the boldness to be asked. Sometimes it's only the boldness of sharing your testimony. You might talk of miracles, but that's not seeing them. That's only hearing them, but there's still something about these things which are attractive. Now, Acts 2, verse 2, it says here, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a mighty rushing wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven or divided tongues, like as of fire, meaning languages, not tongues of flame as some people like to interpret. It scriptures when you look at them. They simply don't say that. They're talking about speaking in other languages. And it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. All, not some, all were filled with the Holy Spirit. And it goes on to say, not only were they all filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, they all began to speak with other tongues. So this was synonymous uh, with God. This is how he worked, and he said, as the Spirit gave them utterance. So it was of the Spirit, not an emotional display. It wasn't a hidden uh, ability within the soul of all men that people aren't aware of. It wasn't a hidden ability. It was a miracle transposed from the nothingness uh, in the natural elements of life into us because our body had become a temple. This is what happened. They saw it and they heard it. Then comes the next question in verse 8 of the same chapter. The question being asked now is, because we are identified by signs following, the question being asked is, hey, what's this we're hearing? What's this all about? Many people are gathered around, 120 people had all started to speak in tongues, and the people who had gathered around, it was noised abroad, meaning that uh, people were going, something's happening that's very special, we need to go and look. And as the crowds gathered to find out, God gave his evidence. What does this mean? This was the question. What's all this about? And it was explained to them. In Acts 2, they said here, How hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? How is it that these people are speaking languages which they've never learnt, never studied, and some of these languages which we hear we can actually identify, and some of them are from the foreign parts of uh, Israel, or further abroad, where we have lived. How could it be? Could you imagine coming here uh, from, uh, you know, maybe an Eskimo or something, and here you are here, because this is how startling it would have been for them, and you hear someone just suddenly speaking Eskimo who had never been part of your culture. How, how could that happen? How is it possible? And this is what they gathered around. So this signs-following ministry, this is the miracle part which kicked it off. People were receiving the Spirit, they were speaking in tongues, and to prove that it was a tongue, and to prove that this is what God was doing, people were questioning, what does this mean? What is actually happening? And he went on to explain 
which I'm not going to read today for time, but he went on to explain that it was prophesied and what was happening was there. Jesus has already said this was going to happen in Mark 16. These signs will follow them that believe. In fact, it really should say these signs will follow them who truly believe the scriptural way. Because if you don't do it the scriptural way, the signs don't follow. Simple as that. Anyway, and he'd already told them, but they just didn't all grasp what was happening. And uh, as it did happen, it had to be explained. I'd like to go back into the Old Testament. That's the start of the miracles, and the miracles continue on with the operation of the gifts and the meeting, with healing, with other blessings, with uh, wisdom and knowledge, and all these other wonderful things. But there's also the other side, which I wanted to focus on a bit today. And that is the sign of our testimony, or the signs which God sets in us, which are more of the natural ability which where we combine both spiritual and natural together because a lot of people just feel out of place, outweighted by the fact that they need to be super Christian, super spiritual, and they think in themselves that it's not there. How can I live that life? I am not naturally, spiritually uh, like that. And I, I have to work. I've got to do this, I've got to do that. How in the world can God work for me? And God said, well, I've got that problem solved. So let's go back and look at how God explains this, and we'll start where the concept started, which are a science-following ministry. And if we go back here into Numbers 152, um, I'm going to identify with the original markers which God gave them. They gave them flags or banners which they could identify who they were. And they would walk around proclaiming. They'd have musicians and all sorts of things. But I'd just like to read it to you so you can see that this was a science-following concept equally. He says in 52, Numbers 1, And the children of Israel shall pitch their tents, every man by his own camp, and every man by his own standard. Now the word standard here means banner or flag. They'd all have their own throughout the house. In other words, each person would have a sign that would identify who they were at a natural level as opposed to the supernatural level. They already knew God was there supernaturally because the fire and the cloud they'd seen in the wilderness and desert 40 years. Uh, when the temple was uh, correctly uh, done according to God's plan, the fire then came down and did the same work, etc., etc. So they'd already had miraculous identification of who they were. But now we're moving through to the natural identification, which God also instituted as a form of identification that these people are God's people. Now, we don't have flags today because God has changed the whole concept from being temple-based in a building to being person-based being the temple. So that changes the whole uh, uh, metrics of what we're doing. Everything we do now, same principle, just a different way of doing it, still in character and still workable as we know from our own experience. Now, if we go to Psalm 20, verse 5, just going to follow the flag theme down for a bit because it was one of the very clear symbols which are mentioned so often, but it's also got parallels that we can identify naturally uh, the same way. Now, I don't know if you've ever remember at school, we used to have uh, Monday morning, we'd have assembly, sing the national anthem, crack the flag, salute, God save the Queen. Who, who remembers that from their life? Wow, gee, a lot of old people here. <laughs> Not that you're all old, mind you. I had to fold the flag up. Our, we're on duty for three months or one term, whatever it was, and there's a way to fold the flag up and roll it and tie a special little knot so that when you've got it up the flagpole and you pull it, it just don't, comes undone 
and it comes out the right way. That's called unfurling the flag. Now, the Lord talks about that we need also to be in a position where a flag which is hidden, and we can very quickly go back to the scriptures, if our gospel be hid, who's it hid from? It's, it's sort of a very obvious principle, but we'll talk about flags because they're easy naturally to grasp, but the spiritual overtimes are equally obvious because that's who we are. It's about our testimony. It's about our lifestyle. It's about the way that we think and act. And uh, he says here in Psalm 20 verse 5, we will rejoice in thy salvation and in the name of our God uh, we will set up or unfurl our banners. The Lord fulfill all thy petitions. So we have this double blessing being identified by uh, David here that he would put up the banners, which was one identification, but at the same time he spoke that the Lord fulfilling the petitions, which was the other identification. So there's two identifications consecutively running in all our life. We can always speak in tongues once we're spirit-filled. We can always do a lot of things which are supernatural, but at the same time there's this narrow, uh, natural identification which sometimes we just forget the value of it. Uh, if I repeat again what I said earlier and say... Most people in this room came not because they saw a miracle, they came because they heard someone who was able to express a lifestyle and was able to convict them through the Spirit that what they had was valid and true. That's why you're here. I didn't come because I saw a miracle. I stayed because miracles happened, but I'm also here because it would be so easy to think, oh, all you guys ever do is talk about tongues. No, all, all us guys ever do is talk about all of the miracles. All you want to focus on is the argument about tongues. That's not our argument. We have to present it because it's the first level of denial by the people of this world. It's a bit the same as a doctor. You go into the doctor, you're highly unwell and you're smoking and the doctor will always tell you to stop smoking. Why? Because that's your problem. If you weren't smoking, he wouldn't mention it. He'd go on to other things. And it's the same with us. If people were filled with the Spirit, we'd move on from some of these more basic things into other areas equally as we do with each other. It's just natural, but people don't see it that way because they get confounded. So very clearly we have two revelations being brought here uh, by uh, David in the Psalms. Unfurl your banner, which is your natural, and let God do the supernatural. So there's this double uh, identification process happening. And let's go through now to um, John 3, verse 7. I'm going to talk about Christians, talk about our age of the Spirit. Now, Christians, like flags, they need wind or they don't work. Now, we identify most flags because we've seen them so often, it's not a, a mystery to us. But for many people, God's flag is an absolute mystery. God's sign, God's token, God's thing. They've never seen it before. And our lifestyle, like a flag, it needs to have the wind blowing over it because it's a piece of fabric designed to be revealed by the moving of the wind. And as soon as the wind blows on it, it stands up and it becomes identifiable. Firstly, there's colours. Otherwise, there's symbols or, or whatever. And that just dictates exactly what it is. But a stranger to the nation might not know particularly what country a flag belongs to. When you're listening to some of the people doing the uh, hosting at the Olympics, they don't always get the flags right because they don't know. So it has to be explained to them. 
And it's a bit the same as us. People don't always understand identification, but we explain it to them. And when you're talking to someone, they'll say, but what about this or what about that? And you say, we explain. We, we go through. It's part of dialogue. That is not miraculous in the sense that we're working a miracle, even though God's probably pricking their heart, but it's part of the natural identification which serves the purpose of getting people from being unsaved into spirit-filled places by verbal communication, the natural identification process. And uh, in like manner also, just as David said this, that's a Christian lifestyle. This is how God works. We've got signs, miracles and wonders, but we need to be flowing. We need like a flag. We need wind. And it says in John 3, 7, he says, Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. Then he goes on to say the wind, meaning the spirit, the wind blows or bloweth where it listeth or where it chooses. You hear the sound thereof, but you can't tell whether it comes and whether it goes to. He said, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. The Spirit is likened to the wind. I thought, well, this is a pretty good metaphor. God's not a dill. If he brings metaphors forward, they're always in keeping with quite a few other metaphors which all follow the same pattern of revelation. And uh, it just dawned on me, a flag that's just limp against a flagpole, you can't really work it out, can you? Can't work it out. If the flag is not unfurled, you've even got less of a clue. If the thing's still up there with a half hitch knot round it, you just know nothing. But even when it's unfurled, unless the wind comes and moves it, it's unidentifiable. Which means that our life, as a sign for God, is an identification factor in this world. If the Spirit of God is not moving in us, meaning at a natural level in daily life, then we can't be identified as Christians. People can't tell who we are or what we stand for because the wind needs to blow. Now, when they went up to the moon, you know, they put the American flag there. Because there's no wind on the moon, they had to put a stiffener in the top. So when they put the flagpole in, the stiffener held the flag up. But now, after all these years, the heat of the sun has fade. The flag's now white. And as all the wags that I said, well, it looks like the French are going to claim that they got there. Have a think about that. You know what the white flag is? It's a, a retreat flag or I give in flag. So if you know your history, you'll know what I say. It looks like the French got here. They've got a good history of retreating when it comes to war. But anyway, that, that's the joke. It's not the reality. Now, they had a flag up there. They had to make it fly simply by putting a stiffener in the top so it could be identified. With our walk in the Lord... We don't have to use stiffening or any of that because the spirit is the wind that fills our flag. The spirit moving in our life. The fact that we've got a balanced life, the fact that we get fellowship, the fact that we've got prayer, the fact that we have to live naturally. You've got to cook, iron, wash clothes, all those things is part of your life. You've got lawns to mow, you've got jobs to do, you've got children sometimes who can bring you no end of grief, not my family, but it could be yours. Uh, you've got sometimes your parents or grandparents can bring you no end of grief equally, which could be true of my grandkids, who would know. And we've got all these things happening, but we have to live a natural life as well as understand we have supernatural things. A lot of people think, well, outside of the miracles, my life's nothing. I've got nothing. The Lord's going, oh yes, you have. You are something, but you've got to let your light shine. And letting your light shine doesn't mean you rush out and witness to a thousand people. It means you've got to have a life that's got some level of display in it that the Spirit of God is moving through you. And the more the Spirit moves in you, the more the flag flies. 
And flags are, are wonderfully, they're animated and graceful. They just gently, they're just like looking at the ocean. They're continually moving, never look the same twice. It's just part of the eye-catching appeal of a flag. And the Lord's basically used these metaphors already to say, that's you guys. That's how you get identified. This is where a lot of the blessing in the spirit will come from. If we go to uh, 2 Timothy 1 verse 6. Now we know the Lord's already identified the spirit and the wind as one, so I've been happy to follow that metaphor. It's used in the Old Testament equally in the same way, where they had flanners and banners and flags, which God instituted, not them, wasn't there. They didn't say, hey, God, I've got a, got a, got a good idea. How about we put a flag up so we can say, we're this tribe or that tribe? He didn't say that. He told them what to use. It was part of his identification, not their request. And that's what they did. Again, our walk in the Lord, once we're filled with the spirit, our identification's not what we want. It's God said, this is how you live when you're spirit-filled. Why? Because if the wind, the Holy Spirit moves in your life, you'll become a visible testimony which is clearly identifiable, as a flag is. And that's what the Lord's saying. And it's that principle that I'm trying to bring out for you to grasp today. 2 Timothy 1 verse 6. If the wind doesn't blow, the flag is useless. Pretty obvious, isn't it? All right. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting of my hands, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. He hasn't given us a spirit which has all the reasons why we can't use the spirit itself, because we're no good with this, with that, or, or whatever. Uh, a spirit of, uh, of rejection, a spirit of uh, uh, lack of faith. He said, look, I haven't given you that type of spirit. What have I given you? I've given you a spirit that's got power, that's got love, and gives you a sound or qualified mind which is able to work through the distractions of life. And you will make boo-boos and you'll recover. And quite often, it's the recovery from a boo-boo which is the strongest testimony. The fact that people see that you've had a tough trot, you've gone through it, now here you are, come out the other end smiling and people go, I don't know how you did that. It's not in you to get past that problem and here you are living that life. And that quite often will win more people over than all the head knowledge about the Bible and the miracles and the signs and wonders because people can't always identify with them but they can identify with someone who's been pretty dumb and recovered because that's what they want to do. When they have their dumb moments, they want to get out of it. And a lot of people today do feel trapped in a lifestyle or a situation which they want to get out of but don't know how to. And that's where we put up our flag. That attracts people to who we are and what we stand for. So that's something we can think about. We'll also go through now to Romans 10, verse 14. If we have a lifestyle that's got managing the distresses and the evils and the wrongs and even the pleasantry of life, because not everything that comes your way that distracts you is evil. If you won a couple of million dollars on the lotto, that could distract you in such a way that... Um, look, I don't know how it goes these days, but I know they've done several surveys on people who have won millions of dollars in these lottos and uh, things. They're, uh, the very small percentage actually have had a better life, but for the bulk of them, it's been an absolute disaster to them. So sometimes getting worldly things will work against you, not for you. And that's part of this testimony that whether we're rich or poor or anywhere in between, we still have a life that flows. The spirit moves. Our flag is still flying. We as a group of old people, young people, educated, not educated, whatever, we have a testimony which is notable. 
and clearly visible as distinct from what people outside of the fellowship might live their life collectively in all of their life. Romans 10.14, opportunity. He says here, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How can they call upon God if they haven't been able to identify God? All right, you say, oh, we identify God with signs, miracles. Yes, we do. But how do we get them to that point where they can identify the miracles? Where the miracles, as we know, especially speaking in tongues, prophecy, interpretation, that was designated to a church meeting, not something you do outside when you're witnessing to people. So God's already made it very clear. He's got processes. Remember, this is a, a, a dual identification process. Your lifestyle and the working of the Spirit and how it works off duty and how it works on duty, how it works in the church, how it works out the church, how it works in good times, how it works when not so good times. This is all part of this identification process. So the Lord says to us, this is an appeal to church people, those who aren't part of the fellowship, how can they call on him if they haven't identified him? How shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? They haven't understood. And how shall they hear if there's no one to talk to them? You notice here, the conversion factor comes at the talking point. That is a conversion to make this decision for the spirit to be able to work in them. So the Lord makes this very strong appeal to us saying, they don't have it, they don't have this, they don't have that. How are they going to get to where we want them to go? And quite often, the winning of a person's soul is not being able to debate the A to Z of the scripture it's the simplicity of having a stable and steady lifestyle which reflects Christian values which does include equally if you've done something stupid or done something wrong you apologise or fix it up it's the ability to overcome despite our human body which we're still tied to which we can't escape yet and some of us are genetically predisposed in certain areas some of us our education or uh, our upbringing the uh, things which surround us, the nurturing we've received, have got a different value system in us than other people might have. And it's so easy to go, oh, look, they're idiots. They do this, they do that. No, they're not idiots. If they're filled with the Spirit, they're not idiots. If they're filled with the Spirit, they've done something which is pleasing to God, which is a lot more than many people have done. What we have to be patient with and tolerant with is understand that not everyone thinks like we do. Therefore, our way isn't the only way at the natural level or the way we think. But when it comes spiritually, there's only one way. Repent, be baptised, receive the Holy Spirit, and you'll speak in tongues. There's no other alternatives for salvation. But there are alternative lifestyles which fit in the mould of our Christian heritage. And we have to adapt to them according to the nation we're in. But God has asked us that our life be the sign. Our life be the identifier and how we live it. Now we'll go over to Matthew 5, back a little bit, verse 16. Now our lifestyle provides spiritual and natural identification, but it does it the right way, the way that God wants. And look, there's a little verse here which I've quoted already, but I'd just like to quote it in the simplicity of this concept of the flag, fluttering in the breeze. And I think very clearly when there's no wind blowing, the flag can be hard to work out. And not only when the flag is up and blowing, You've got to identify the flag because I'd be the first one. When they do these, uh, you know, questions, identify the flag of Denmark, identify the flag of Italy, identify this flag. A lot of them look the same. 
But sometimes one colour's wrong or one colour's different. You think, oh, I don't know what that's like. There needs to be tuition sometimes equally and that's why we speak to people. We, firstly, we identify something there like a flag but then we have to say, what does this mean? Like they did with the, uh, when they received the Holy Spirit. What meaneth this? So there's two, there's two levels of exactly the same type of request that when people come to us and say, well, in one sense, when you're sharing your testimony or your lifestyle, what God's done, they're really saying in one sense, what meaneth this naturally, not what meaneth this supernaturally. It's the same question. And the Lord has told us we vouch for both levels of our life, the natural life and the spiritual life. And look, we don't need to be feeling guilty and all these things for what we could have done, should have done, might have done, or didn't get worked out. It's the fact that we continue on in the overcoming mode. That is our testimony. You got a marriage that's lasted 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years? That's a testimony. Because the bulk of people out there won't have a relationship where it's called a marriage or not that lasts anywhere near that long. So we have a testimony. I had a, a young woman I was speaking to a little while back, maybe two years ago. She said, so you've been living with the same woman for more than five years. I said, yeah, 40 years. And I said, and I've been in the same church for the same time and it works equally the same. She said, that's absolutely amazing. How can that happen? That was my flag for her. Could have been a different question, would have been a different answer, but it's still a flag. I explained my flag, what my flag means. So this is by explaining. But just to go on to the scripture, Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see what? Your good works. That's your natural life. The, good, the way you live it in a godly way, which is good. The Lord said he would bless it. And glorify your Father which is in heaven. Two aspects to our life. We live the physical and we're committed to the spiritual, but both have appeal and both need to be explained. And this is what I'm trying to get through to you today, that in the simplicity of being identified by signs, it's a dual layer. There's natural, our lifestyle, and the supernatural, which are the obvious ones which we've already gone through. I'd like to take you through to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Second last scripture for today. I'm going to talk about a flag. I, I, I could have got a thing put on the screen, but I've, I've got it actually on the notes for those who want to take a copy afterwards. I'll just explain this first. It says in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7, it says, But the manifestation of the Spirit, this outward display of God, is given to every man to profit in all things. Now, admittedly, we know that speaking in tongues was a sign which was community-based everywhere. Everyone who receives the Spirit speaks in tongues. That's one aspect. But it goes on to talk about um, being an overall benefit, this concept that the manifestation of the Spirit would be in every aspect of our life. But it needs to be explained. It need, we, we need to understand what did the Lord say? He gave the, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to who? Every man. And sometimes you look at yourself and think, oh, my personal life's not as good as it could be. I'm hopeless at this. I'm not going to lose it. No, you've already got your testimony. Just live your testimony. Don't worry about your interpretation of your life. You worry about what God says because he is the one who will attract some of these people. 
Now, your lifestyle might be that bad that the only person you'll ever attract is someone coming out of the uh, zombie apocalypse. But they'll still come and get saved if that's your calling. Understand my point? And sometimes people come to the Lord who you would never have won over because your lifestyle would never be appealing to them in any way that they would ever ask you anything and get other people here would attract them. And that's why we tend to bring people as we do, because the Lord's got the right people lined up for the right people, which we don't know, he knows, and he brings it together. That's our testimony. And that's why it works. So if we look at these things and identify them, it makes it so much easier. Now, one of the little principles I've just added, which is on the notes, I don't have a graphic for you. Who who knows the Union Jack to look at it? Yep. It's a flag with red, white and blue on it with crosses running in all different directions. Now, if that's flying, we can see it and we know we think that's Great Britain. Although there's a lot of people who can't work out whether that one, uh, the Australian flag, which has got the Southern Cross, even though the top left-hand corner has got the uh, Union Jack on it, and the uh, New Zealand flag, which has basically got a red version of the Southern Cross, slightly modified, uh, in with a white outline. A lot of people look at all those, they can't always tell what they are, so we need to explain them. Why, why they're different. And for those who don't know, and this is just simply a visible explanation that if you get informed, it all makes sense to you after you're informed. The Union Jack, many people here probably would know. Who knows how the Union Jack came to be the Union Jack? Just put your hand up, right up high. All right, so we've got a lot of people here who don't know, and if it's explained to you, then you do know. There might be a lot of people out there have heard them speaking in tongues. They've heard we're in the last age. They know the Lord's returning, but that's all they know. They don't know the makeup. They don't know what to do next. They don't know any of the other details. So that's our job. We explain it to them. Why? Because they've had confidence enough in our lifestyle, whether long-term or short-term, or our mannerism of approach, to at least listen so we can explain and they can then make their choice accordingly. And that's what many do. The Union Jack is made up of three separate flags overlaid one over the other. It's called the Union Jack because it's a union of Jacob, which uh, is another topic altogether, but I won't even go into that because some people want to debate that, but what is not debatable is it is still the union of three British Isles nations put together to become one which is uh, now called, of course, Great Britain. The Red Cross with the white background, we should all know that, that's St George. St George and the Dragon, you know, happy story. And uh, all those things, the Crusades, they had the white background with the Red Cross. That was theirs. Now that that actually is the uh, English flag, the original English flag. The next one was the Cross of St Andrew, which is a Scottish flag. And that was the royal blue background with the white diagonal cross on it. That was their flag. And there's also a red uh, diagonal cross as opposed to horizontal. The red one with the white background, that was Ireland. So what they did, they got the English, the Scottish and the Irish flags, they laid them all over and made a union flag out of it so that that one flag represented a, a union of nations. That's why it's called the Union Jack. And again, there's a bit more we could go into. So if I explain that to you, now you know where that flag comes from. Now you know, historically, that's not debatable, historically what I've said there is everyone's knowledge in history. So now you know where it comes from. So when you look at our flag, 
that little bit up in the top corner, it's not about the Queen being bossy boots and ruling Australia. That is our heritage. Australia started, whether you like it or not, was civilised, whether they were the first people landed here or not. The culture, the law, everything about us came from this union of these three nations which became one, which went around and uh, colonised the world, and our nation started from this colonisation process of the uh, British peoples, which was a combination of many isles put together in one. That's their flag. So what did we do? We aren't England, and we weren't going to be part of their... Uh, their English Great Britain heritage, we're going to be part of the heritage but not part of the nation. So we put their flag up in the corner of our flag and because we're the Great Southland we put the Southern uh, Cross up on our flag so our flag flies, same colours but designated in a different way. Why? Because it identifies Australia. It identifies who we are, where we come from and our place in the world and people then when they're given the story of the Australian flag they go, oh I didn't know that. That's why we've got a flag like that. And the New Zealand flag isn't all that much different, similar put together, same story about their origins, who they are, where they came from, and so it goes. So when we start talking to people, our life is like this flag. It identifies something, but they don't always know what's being identified. So we talk to people. We witness to them. We share our testimony. We encourage them. We sometimes comfort them. We look after them. We, we do a whole host of things, not all spiritual but all identifications of the nature of God's people who love humanity. That's our calling. Last scripture, Revelation 12, verse 10. This part of the closing scripture identifies the two concepts, the natural and the spiritual, come together. And I, I just think it's a good scripture because it really just summarises the points we're trying to make today. And I, I just wanted to leave you with this mental picture so when you go away you can think about this and realise that your personal life is probably far more beneficial to converting souls than what you've originally believed because most people aren't aware that God uses our natural life as an identifier of who he is just by the nature we live our life, the things we commit to, the things, even if, like I said earlier, if we do wrong, we correct it. The world doesn't do that most often. We do. And uh, it's maybe to a fault with some. Revelation 12.10 And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of God and the power of Christ for the accuser of the brethren is cast down. The accuser, it's just another name for Satan. Just another name for how many times you sort of get it in your mind, oh, you're no good, you'll never do this, you're, you, you know, you're hopeless, and, you know, Jesus sort of got a similar treatment when he was taken up, and he said, look, you worship me. You know, you, you're going to get a better deal with me. I'll see what you see, and I'll give you the whole world. It was just sort of the same thing. Look, without me, you're nothing. Without me, you're not going to get this. Without me, you can't have that. Yeah, yeah and if your God really loves you so much, why don't you just... If he really loves you, why don't you cast yourself down and see how well he'll fix you up? You know, it was just idiocy, negativity, attack. And that's what the Lord does to us. Uh, in, in the sense, when I say the Lord does to us, it's brought upon us because we stand for the Lord and Satan comes in, the accuser of the brethren, and the Lord said, this guy is over for you. I'm tying him up. He's out of here. You're going to have a free run after Jesus Christ's return. I think, well... 
What a good time. Wouldn't it be good to have a whole day where there's no negativity in it at all? Then have a whole year. Then have a whole decade. Then have a whole century. Then have ten of them. That's what the Lord's talking about, moving through these processes. And it goes on to say, not only he was cast down, which accused him before our God day and night, and verse 11, and they overcame him, the accusing, the accusation, the doubts, the fears, the foolishness of the flesh, how? By the blood of the Lamb, the blood of the Lamb, which is the miracle power of God, and the word of their testimony, the way they lived their life, the way they spoke, the way they provided evidence of who they were and what they stood for. How did they overcome? How did their flag fly? Their flag was identified by two things. They had the power of God in them and they had a lifestyle which equaled how a mortal person should live when they're endued with the power of God. And that's something we can all do. This is simple Simon stuff. When you think about it, hopefully in the way that I brought it to you today, you can break it down and you won't think, that's not too, I, I can actually do that. I understand that. I, I can see that these things have got great drawing power to people. And look, whether people come along and say, what's that flag? When a flag's fluttering in the wind, you see it. Whether you do anything about it, it's not the issue. You see it. And all the Lord says to us, be seen. What do you say? A city that is on a hill cannot be hid. It's seen. You, you can't hide it when it's exposed this way. And he's simply saying a lifestyle which is lived with the Holy Spirit and keeps self-correcting and self-promoting uh, the spiritual blessing behind it can never be hid. There'll always be someone there to see it. But not everyone's going to look. That's okay. But enough will look. And that'll be their salvation if they respond accordingly. And it goes on to say, they overcame him by the word, by the blood of the land, the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. In other words, they always kept the flag flying above every other thing that they did as a spirit-filled person. That was their priority. Keep that flag flying. And even, what did the Lord say? He said, be angry and sin not. Be human, be emotional, be whatever you like. But in the process of that, don't give up on me. Keep coming back. Don't go back to sin. Don't go back to a worldly lifestyle. There's no value or testimony in that. But there is value, there is testimony in walking our lives the best way we can in the spirit. Conclusion. How's your flag flying at the moment? Fluttering in the breeze? Blown by the gale? Limp on the flagpole? That's our choice, and it's not a guilt trip. It's just simply saying, if we understand this, we can do something with it. If we get the spirit moving in our life, the flag will start to move. As the flag moves, it becomes more attractive, more desirable, and more effective. Final question. Is the wind of God blowing over your life the way you'd like it to be? If not, then let's work towards it, because that's your answer, and that's God's answer, and all the people said.